<laughs> now the fun begins. Good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Game Pass Gamecast. I'm your host, Travis White, a.k.a. Travis, on most internet platforms. And as always, I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Adam Marsh and Mike Peapack. Guys, normally I ask you right off the bat, what are you playing? What? Mike's fucking using a laser pointer at me. <laughs> You're sitting here trying to fucking do an intro. I'm getting laser po- to preemptively answer that question, I've been playing Adopted a Cat a week ago, so there's now a laser pointer lying around that Mike can blind us with. <laughs> That's probably like the, the gift that keeps on giving. The laser pointer with a cat. Yeah. I was going to say, that has to be the ultimate mindfuck. Yeah, for me, I just keep hitting pussies in the eyes. <laughs> True. Uh, alright, alright. Let's start it off. I'm going to go with Adam again, because I already know what Mike's been playing. Okay. I keep saying that every week. People are probably like, what the fuck, this guy don't fucking play anything on <laughs> But, anyways. playing something different this week. Oh, oh worry. Alright, go ahead. I want to hear. Mike, go ahead. What have you been playing this week? I picked the crack pipe back up, and I'm playing Counter-Strike again a little bit. <laughs> I was going to where is this going? <laughs> yeah, so I've been playing a lot of Halo and some Counter-Strike. So you, what what led you to getting back on that? On the metaphor crack pipe, where you just like, yeah, I want to change it off. I don't know what makes anyone relapse. True. I just kind of wanted it. But yeah. I have still been working on my Ninja Gaiden Black speed runs, so that's just been off stream in the lab. And I've had like an hour or two here and there. I'll just run through certain sections that have caused me issues. So I am playing that too. But yeah. Yeah, basically the same old, same old for me. Getting ready for AC. So. Getting ready for AC. That's right. How many weeks? That's what, like a month? It's 30 days. Yeah, I was going to say it's about a month, so. Cool, cool. Adam, what have you been playing, man? I am still stuck into Fire Emblem Three Houses. I finally got to the part with the time skip. I felt like, I don't know, I got like 35, 40 hours into it, and I'm like, when is the time skip going to happen? Yeah. I'm like waiting for the game to start. Mm-hmm. And it feels like I'm already like halfway through the length of it, maybe? I was going to say, have you looked up on like how long to beat.com or something like how long? I think it's something like 80 hours per run through. So we're looking at like Persona 5 level length. Possibly. And that's just one, like I'm fully intending to do a new game plus if it's available and like running through the different house and trying to get a perfect playthrough. Right. Because I got to I got to the end of the first part and I recruited all but one of the students from the other houses into my house. So I'm like, I gotta go back and I gotta be total completionist. See, the more I know this is an Xbox show primarily, but the more I keep hearing people talk about this fucking game I wanna play it. I'm not traditionally I enjoy games because they're fun. Mm-hmm. I think everybody can say that. And my definition of fun isn't getting fucking shit on 24-7. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, and especially with things like permadeath and whatnot. Like, I'm just not... I'm more... Especially as we're becoming a full-grown adult. Mm-hmm. You're just becoming an adult. Physically. I'm saying physically. Mentally, I, I'm still at about the age of, like, 14. Me so, too. So... But, point being, our time's become much more finite on what we can do, so it's like, man, do I really want to keep just playing this and getting shit on? Like, this is not fun. Like, there was a Mario Maker level I was playing the other night, mm-hmm. and I got stuck on, like, all weekend, that, like, I just moved on, I was like, alright, whatever, like, in the sort of 
I'd come back to it to try to do it again or whatnot, and it just kept getting me. And to the point where it was like, this is just not fun. It was just frustrating. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm not wasting my time. Mm-hmm. Granted, I came back literally the next day, first try beat it. <laughs> That's how it always fucks me with video games. But yeah, as much as I keep hearing about the traditional traits of, of a Fire Emblem game, this makes me really want to try it because it seems like it's a good mixture of... Because I do like challenge at the same time. I yeah. want to be challenged when I'm playing a game. So, at the same time, this does seem like it would be my cup of tea, where it's a good mesh of challenging, but not overbearingly difficult, or where the stakes are so heavy that it's like, I get 40 hours in and I lose my main character, and now I'm fucked. Yeah, I think it's uh, playing on casual and normal difficulty, so casual is no permadeath. Normal is like the usual scaling, like power mm-hmm. of enemies and whatnot. I found it pretty easy to get over-leveled and like just kind of breeze through the fights uh, yeah. up to a certain point. Once I hit the time skip, they kind of like, they bring up the enemy difficulty and then they like force your students to a certain level. So like the first battle in part two is well-balanced. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I'll probably get over-leveled again. But, you know, it's it's easy to make it as easy or challenging as you want it to be. Yeah, and it seems like it's a game that's built on doing multiple runs. I mean, especially right off the bat, the three different houses within it. Yeah. You know, they all seem like they have specific storylines to a degree. Yeah, I think there's even a secret route apart from those like, oh, three wow. houses. Nice, nice. So. Well, this is an Xbox show, so we won't hang on Nintendo too long, right, right. But even though we do love it. But, as you know, this is the Game Pass Gamecast. Each and every week we sit down here... We talk about either a game or series within the Game Pass universe, Xbox Game Pass game service. And this week, we are changing it up a little bit. We had some good feedback. So I think maybe once every other week or so, we're going to start doing a full episode of our party chat segment where you guys write into us. We take the topical questions you send in us, and we just talk about them really in any video game light. And my idea, at least, has been, hey, we'll do a game or a series one week. Next week, we'll do party chat just so we can kind of, it doesn't get stagnant, I guess. But we're going to do party chat this week. So we'll dive into that. A little bit of housekeeping first. Our YouTube channel has changed names. Originally, it was just bonus accessory. Now it is Game Pass Gamecast. Everyone who was a previous sub on there will automatically already be subbed. So you don't have to worry about that. But to find our content a little bit faster and a little more streamlined with that, you now just have to search Game Pass Gamecast. That's Game Pass, two words, Gamecast one. What's good, y'all? It's Future Travis. Shockingly, yet again, Microsoft decided to announce and shadow drop a few new games for Xbox Game Pass while this episode was in post-production. So, I just want to do a roundup real quick before we get too deep into this week's episode. So, new to Xbox Game Pass and available now is the Jackbox Party Pack 2, Space Hulk Tactics, and Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. Now, just to keep in mind, though, The Jackbox Party Pack 2 will only be available on Xbox Game Pass via home consoles. Wow, Space Hulk's Tactics and Where the Water Tastes Like Wine will only be available on PC. So, there you have it. You're all caught up. That wasn't that bad now, was it? Well, you know, if we're being honest, actually, yeah, it was. I mean, I feel like my voice sounds like if a Muppet had a broken nose, you know? So I, I don't blame you for tuning out at this point, you know. I wonder where I get my lack of, you know, self-confidence. I don't know. Maybe it started, you know, back when I was in, like, the fifth grade when... Uh, oh, shit. 
This is still on. This is still recording. Oh shit, my bad, my bad. All right, let, let's just get back to the show. You don't, you don't want to hear a grown ass man weep. And just wanted to touch on this a little bit because I want to get some feedback because we all have dabbled in the streaming culture a little bit, a little bit of news just because this is relevant right now. As I'm sure everybody's heard, Ninja leaving Twitch, heading the Mixer, an exclusive deal. From what it sounds like, I think it's like a multi-million dollar deal per year. Obviously, they would have to do leaving that big of an audience, but I just want to get everyone's kind of take on it. Personally, I think being a fan of Microsoft for a long time, as we all have been to some degree, this is big for them. I think the platform that they built with Mixer really kind of helps with the casual gamer when it comes to putting their content on there comparative to Twitch. Twitch seems a little more intensive in terms of actually, like, if you want to play a game, if I am, you know, I'm Travis and I want to stream Fortnite from my Xbox, but I'm 14 years old and I don't have money to go buy a capture card, I don't know. it seems like Xbox is made ridiculously easier and a little more inclusive in terms of what you're able to do on the platform in-house in your box with an Xbox. That's just me personally, but from what I've seen with it, it seems really inclusive. There's a lot of good Things like you get points just for watching content, comparative to that you don't have to necessarily donate. So it's it's expanding it in a lot of different avenues. I think it's a big deal because the way Microsoft's kind of setting up for next gen, I think they're setting up to just fucking hit a grand slam. They've taken their lumps this past console generation, only selling I think it's around like I think it was like thirty four million units in terms of Xbox Ones. It's comparative to almost now Sony has a hundred shipped units out of the PlayStation 4. I think they've learned a lot. They've taken the lumps, they've stayed quiet, and now they're starting to build back up with new studios and whatnot. But to me personally, I think streamers are the biggest pool in terms of marketing possible for the gaming industry right now. And you literally have the cash cow, the the home name. I mean, it's like it's like Shaq with basketball. Like, people just know Shaq. You say Shaq, you know it's a guy who played basketball. Or you say basketball. It's almost like Hulk Hogan with WWE or whatever. Like wrestling. Hulk Hogan. Like you just, it's ninjas. Ninja's the household name. Right, yeah. It's when you hear video games anymore, it's, oh, that ninja guy. Or, oh, that Fortnite guy. Like, people just know it's him. So having him exclusively on on here. And even today, earlier, he announced, as of recording this, he hit 1 million subs. Like, paid subs on his channel on Mixer. Granted, a lot of those, you get one month free sub. So... But that's still just fucking asinine. This guy has made a million subs in less than a week. So uh, I want to open it up to you guys. Those are kind of my just shooting from the hip thoughts. Just real quick before we jump into the segment. Adam, what do you think? So I'm not highly versed in the streaming landscape. I've only dabbled with Twitch a little bit. But I, I do know who Ninja is. And I mm-hmm. think by bringing him over to their platform, Microsoft is kind of they're throwing a strong haymaker in, the, in this first bout. Where they're introducing... Has Mixer been around for a while, or is it just like... Yeah, it's been around for a few years yeah, now. It's, it was kind of like the forgotten like streaming platform, yeah, but okay. little by little over the past few years, people have started to kind of make the jump from Twitch um, for a lot of reasons, and I'll get into it more when, when it's my turn to talk, but yeah, Mixer's been around for a little bit. Okay, well, in general, I feel like this is the first I'm hearing of it, and it probably is for a lot of other people too, because Ninja's jumping ship, mm-hmm. and... If anything's going to make streaming more competitive between platforms, this has got to be it. Like, this is probably the beginning of Mixer's time in the limelight. I think 
you might see a little more healthy competition between them and Twitch. Competition's sure. always good. Yeah, it's it's good for the consumer to have different platforms, and maybe we'll see some better, like, uh, a better record from Microsoft on moderation. I know that's something people have a lot of trouble with mm-hmm. uh, with Twitch. Like, if you're a big streamer on Twitch, you can get away with a lot. Absolutely. Uh, with, like, a slap on the wrist for um, behavior that would get other people permabanned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe this is a chance for another platform to come out. Mike, what do you think? I think the debate between Mixer and Twitch is this. I think... Staying on topic relevant to the question, this is a situation that kind of works out for both parties. I feel like Ninja was kind of getting burnout with the Twitch scene. I feel like there's a lot of different reasons for why Ninja was becoming burnout with the Twitch scene. I feel like Twitch chat and things of that nature were kind of burning them out because it can be really negative. It can be a really dark place. Even though Ninja started with Justin TV, which then manifested itself into Twitch TV later, way back in the Halo Reach days. This is a situation where I think it kind of gives ninja a new lease on his streaming career because i feel like he was just kind of getting burnt out and getting tired of it and i think it's like a win-win for both companies so i think like ninja is excited to be leaving twitch because of all the bullshit that goes on with twitch and people like the landscape of content creation in twitch has changed so much from gameplay oriented to just like i mean it's cool that people can be creative but you got people there you got certain streamers that are like dancing around in very skimpy workout attire and like things of that nature are going on the irl just talking yeah you know, like streams have really evolved into something that i don't think they were obviously yeah for. right like i think that like twitch has just let it get out of control because they really don't care all they see is the dollar signs very much wild wild west yeah style, right? so like they're just letting girls dance around in like sports bras and yoga pants or yoga shorts and it's just like really weird And it's really cringe because there's a lot of people that watch and they're like, they're into that kind of thing. So they're spending a lot of their money on these streamers. So it's a really good business avenue for these females that don't really care. And Twitch doesn't really care. And Mixer has a really strict rule set on what you can be dressed in streaming on their platform. So I think it's something that Ninja, like, it's just been weighing on him between that and a bunch of other things that happened to him on Twitch. I think it's just really good for him to get over to Microsoft because originally he is a Halo fan. He loves Halo. And I think it kind of bodes well, like Travis alluded to earlier. I think it bodes well for Microsoft going into the next gen because I feel like he's going to be really important to hopefully to the development of Infinite. And if not, at least he's going to be able to be with Microsoft. And I mean, it's almost like... Microsoft is telling us that there's going to be a Battle Royale because now since Ninja pretty much only plays Battle Royale games, it's almost like all but confirming there's going to be a BR mode in Halo, which I think is important to the growth of the game and for it to survive. Because like I said before in the Halo episode, if you can get guys and kids to like dive into the Battle Royale mode, maybe they're going to hop over to like the social playlist and start playing that. And then they're going to be like, huh, Halo's actually pretty fun. And then they might get into the competitive side of things and, and they might explore it that way. But I think that they can use the battle royale mode. They're going to obviously have tournaments for it, I'm sure, and there's going to be a big, there's going to be huge prize pools for that. And then I think that they're going to use some of the money from BR to reinvigorate the competitive scene on the other side of things. So I think that that's really good yeah. uh, for both parties. I think it's a win-win, and I think that Ninja is going to be a lot happier. And I think that Mixer is obviously going to be really happy to have Ninja because it's putting their name more on the map. Obviously, it's a big negative for Twitch. I know people are saying Ninja was kind of falling in popularity on Twitch. But then again, I think it was a situation where, like I said, he was just getting burnt out. So he wasn't as entertaining to watch anymore. He wasn't, 
I mean, he was doing other things in his career rather than stream on Twitch, so it feels like it's a bad breakup. Which it's, but, it, like, you he, can't really blame the guy either. Right, I mean, if right. somebody's throwing a blank check at you for endorsements and just a public appearances alone, right. I mean, you can't you, know, you can't blame him. But this just tastes. It just seems to like a degree. A, it just seems like a bad breakup between two old lovers mm-hmm. that just like. Obviously, there's not a lot of information coming out, and probably down the road it might. Ninja might still have like contracts with Twitch that he's not allowed to talk about it. So it might come out five years down the road that something really big happened between the two. But I think overall it's a win-win for Microsoft and Ninja. Big loss for Twitch to lose Ninja. I think that even just with the Amazon Prime subs alone, they were making a ton of money off of Ninja. So I think that not only did Mixer cut him a lucrative deal in terms of just raw money, I think that they cut him a really good deal with his sub revenue. So I think that it's going to benefit him even more. And for Mixer, like, what do you really have to lose? You have the money. So, like, bringing someone over like that might get you other people to come in. And you're still going to make money, and you're taking money away from one of your biggest competitors, which is awesome. So, yeah. On the the point of Twitch, though, I mean, if they just lost their biggest streamer, hopefully they're all sitting around saying, all right, what are we going to do now? And maybe Twitch as a platform as a result. It, it puts pressure yeah. on them. It puts I, pressure on them. Yeah, I, th- I think in America especially, there's going to be some of our listeners that might not be from this country, but in America, a lot of people are kind of confused, and I think they have a jaded view of capitalism, but at the end of the day, I think this is where you start to take lessons from the real world in capitalism and realize that competition is good for the markets, mm-hmm. and I think that this competition with Mixer and Twitch could, as Adam said, kind of clean up Twitch's, Twitch's bullshit and like this is why competition and capitalism works in America and why it's a really good system because if a company starts slipping, another company is going to come up and take it to task and challenge it. Travis, before the episode started, we were talking about the new Disney streaming platform. And right there, you know, they're just putting pressure, like eating up Hulu, eating up ESPN, like they had ESPN, obviously getting together with Hulu. And they're going to release it for twelve ninety nine a month where you're going to have Disney, Hulu, and ESPN+. Plus. Like what is Netflix going to do? That's wild, like, so there's like a lot of competition going back and forth it's with these companies. You were yeah. getting a cable package for thirteen dollars, and, and and this is why competition is a good thing, and this is why capitalism is is a good thing because things like this happen in a capitalistic market where if it wasn't capitalist, no, everybody would just go ho hum, and it would just be the status quo, and that's just everybody would just accept the way things are. No, absolutely. And people like Elon Musk making Teslas and things of that nature wouldn't exist, yeah, if it wasn't for a capitalist market. So yeah. Absolutely, uh, I think it's I think it's good for everybody involved, and I think it's a kind of a change in the landscape of streaming. Absolutely, yeah. and obviously YouTube streaming still garbage because there's people complaining about monetization on YouTube and how little of money people are making because YouTube's gobbling it all up. I think that's the situation with Twitch too. I think Twitch is getting a lot of pieces of people's asses, and people are starting to become a little sick of it. It's like, really, you're taking this much money off of me? Yeah, and especially with like someone like Ninja. Like, so if he's a so if you're a partner, you get like fifty fifty. And I think Ninja was grandfathered in because he was a partner before the new partnership agreement where he I think he was getting a little bit more, but it was still to the point where he was probably only ending up with 60% of his revenue. Mm-hmm. And I think that didn't sit well with him either. So no, absolutely not. I mean, he is, in that case, he is the big fish. Like absolutely. he is outgrown in popularity in terms of his brand, in, to- in terms of the Ninja entity alone is far bigger than Twitch. For sure. I, at least in my in the in the zeitgeist of gaming right now, I think the first thing that comes to mind when you say Fortnite is Ninja, not not Twitch. Right. And I, I think like I was a ninja sub back in the day when he was still playing Halo mm-hmm. and he was still you I know, mean that's how we knew yeah. about him. Right. I mean like I played Halo with him a lot. Right, yeah. It, I mean he's been playing like 
this is no joke. If you, you like, some of you guys might not even know what Justin TV is. Like the dude's been streaming full time for ten or eleven years. Like it's been, quite a while. It's been since, okay. Let's say it's been since two thousand ten or two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven for sure. He's been streaming full time. Like he was going to school for some of it and still streaming full time. He was working a part time job, coming home and streaming full time. Like he's paid his dues. He's done it the right way. Mm-hmm. And if he wants to go to Mixer, man, like all the power to him, and good for him, Absolutely. and good for Mixer. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's like my hats off to Ninja. And there might be some people out there who can't stand it, but you can't deny the hard work he puts into it. I mean, he gives it a hundred percent effort. No, absolutely. So. I agree. I agree. Well, piggybacking off of that, we're going to jump into party chat now and where we talk to you, the listener, you send us topics in discussion points, questions, what have you. We just talk it out all between us. So it's a good opportunity to help drive the content that's on the show. And as always, you can look out for the tweet that I usually put out throughout the week leading up to our recording episodes where we'll ask for questions and whatnot. So, starting off, sticking with streaming, our first submission comes from Chase. He says, what does it take to get into streaming? I know a few of you guys regularly stream, and I am interested in your setups and what equipment slash software slash basic necessities, etc., etc., are needed to get started. So, I guess kind of piggybacking our last discussion. Mike and I feel have been much deeper into the streaming for sure. landscape with it and have some setups and stuff like that at home. Personally, me, I'm using a blue Yeti. What is it? A blue snowball mic. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. We have the same Mike and I have the same mic. A webcam that does 1080, 60, uh, 1080p, 60 frames per second video output for that. And really, those are the two main things you need. If you're doing console... Like, if you're streaming any single-player game, if you're streaming any first-person shooter on a console, Call of Duty, Halo, whenever it comes out, you will need... Technically, I guess you don't, because there's built-in streaming equipment into the box itself, into your Xbox, PlayStation, whatever you have, outside Nintendo Switch. But you can stream directly from your console. It's just really, really, really limited. They have voice chat on there, and that's about it. You'll have your chat open, but that's... Really, it's just gameplay. If you have some voice connectivity, you can use that too. And with PlayStation, if you do have a PlayStation camera, that does work. Because before I got into streaming, I had one of those for my PSVR. I plugged it in and it actually worked. I streamed Shadow of the Colossus. But it did have... You can do it. You just... I desperately say this. If you want to actually pursue streaming, I highly suggest doing it from a desktop go out and spend the, it's under $100, I think it's like, what, like 60, 70 bucks, something like that for an Elgato. Oh, um, yeah. I highly suggest getting one of those, especially if you're doing console, because then if you have any kind of PC that has a video card of some sort, you should be able to handle the output of streaming through that, but it does definitely help, because then you can get overlays and different things like that through software, Streamlabs OBS, or just OBS Studio. Anything like that, you'll need an overbroadcast for that or your software for that. But outside of that, it's pretty simple to get set up. The barrier to entry isn't as drastic as a lot of people think. The big thing is just being consistent. You set up a schedule, even if it's two days a week or one day a week, you know that you're streaming Sunday nights at 7 from 7 to 11 or whatever. As long as you're there and you broadcast that and you put it at that time, people will consistently start to show up. It takes a while, but it is what it is. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, basically, Travis said all the right things about the gear. You just want to have a desk mic that has pretty... De- well, 
technically you don't even have to have a desk mic if you don't want to. You I can mean, have a you, headset. You use your headset at Sometimes. times whenever you're it's playing just like, like it just depends. Like if you're playing Halo and you're in party chat or something yeah. like that, they like you need to you're doing scrims or yeah. whatever and you need to actually like communicate with your team or what do you use whenever you stream CS? I like to use my HyperX clouds because I don't like to have my like mic boom over my keyboard like I normally oh, yeah. do. In because like like I move my arms yeah, yeah. around with CS. So I usually just use my headset for CS. But if I'm playing a game like Dead by Daylight, mm-hmm. I use my mic, my desk mic or whatever. A webcam is pretty important, I think. I mean, you can get away if you're entertaining enough and have enough like good enough gameplay. There's a few streamers that have gone away without video. I, too, agree that I think video is a necessity. Yeah. Even if you don't... I put that way over overlay or anything like Absolutely. that. As long as you have video and a mic, I think those are the two most important things because... At least in my opinion, and I'd like to hear what you think about this. Streaming necessarily isn't about the gameplay. You can watch anybody play any game, right? Anytime, it doesn't matter. It's a lot of it is carbon copy for the most part. There are people that stand out who are ridiculously good, like Shroud, yeah, Doctor Disrespect. Anybody who those people who I can think- pick up a controller and just be good. But at the end of the day, it's the brand of that streamer that you're buying into. Yeah, look at Doctor Disrespect. It's I think Doc gimmick. like Doc had like Doc's decent at games. Like, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, Doc's definitely pretty solid, but. He's not like, oh my god, blow my head off type thing. Like, Shroud's aim is ridiculous, so mm-hmm. Shroud's obviously really talented. Ninja's a guy who, he was a lot more talented when it came to, like, H1Z1 and things of that mm-hmm. nature, and he kind of fell off, because, you know, he just kind of got more casual with it, which is, like, okay, I mean, that's what everybody wants, right? But, I think, like, personally speaking, everybody who watches my stream feels like I have really high-level gameplay, but it, like, sometimes high-level gameplay isn't enough to bring the viewers in. You have to find something that's, like, makes you your brand. And once you find what your brand is, you need to build on it. Like mm-hmm. Travis was saying about Dr. Disrespect and Shroud. And Shroud, like, he was a good enough player that he didn't really need a shtick or he didn't need anything, like, special. But, I mean, he still has his brand. And, you know, there's other people in the world that have good enough gameplay that, like, people will watch them regardless. Mm-hmm. Like, Simple could just start streaming CS or, or Elish or, you know, someone like a CS pro could start streaming with no setup. With nothing, and they would get thousands of viewers because people want to watch a gameplay. So I think that's important, but I think a, a webcam, a microphone, a desktop computer is preferred, like Travis said. And other than that, it's, it's just like all passion and all dedication. I'm really bad at keeping a streaming schedule, which is one of the reasons why I have, haven't grown much as a streamer. But I'm at a place in my life where I don't really have the time or the luxury of being able to dedicate a ton of time to streaming. So... If you're into streaming and you want to go for it, I wouldn't like full sell. Like I wouldn't full send, like quit a job and just go full time right off the bat. You need to keep your job and you need to get a committed schedule and work on it. Like Travis said, and grow your brand. You'll know when it's time for you to go quit and go to full time streaming. And it's not going to be for a long time. So if you love to play video games and you love people watching you play video games, then you're already in the right place to start streaming. So that's what I would go for if I were you. No, absolutely. I definitely agree. That's with streaming. I mean, you definitely because it's easy to get burnt out. Like Mike was saying about Ninja earlier, you know, it's it's very easy to get burnt out. I get burnt out with it. I'll get on streaks where I'm like, "Fuck, I love streaming. I could do it seven days a week right now." But then it's like, man, I just want to like chill out and like right now I'm playing through Bioshock like for the first time ever. I'm probably not going to play that on a stream. Like, I want to fuck around. I want to experience the ambiance of it, the immersion level of that game in that series. I don't want to necessarily do that on stream. So it's picking and choosing your battles to an extent, but it's easy to get burnt out. Be realistic with it, like Mike was saying. 
just if you want to start out, pick two days a week and just kind of like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm gonna play Mario Maker for two hours. Just have your buddies come in and talk. Like that's what Mike and I would do. Yeah, we just have a couple of our best friends come in and chat it up, and it would just be a good time. Like I would look forward to nights that none of us could get together because of life or whatever was going on. But Mike was streaming, and him, our but our other buddy Mike, our one other friend John, like we would just get in his chat and just fuck around and like. He'd be playing Dead by Daylight, and we'd have a black like, watching him doing whatever, but, like, we're still interacting together. So it's a great platform to be able to do things like that. Yeah, you definitely want to utilize, like Travis said, your resources as far as friends and family to watch you and give you some viewers. Because what you need is you need a little bit of viewership as far as, like, diehard family friends to get your numbers up a little bit. Because if you're sitting there with, like, one viewer, people are gonna aren't really going to come in, or if they come in, they're probably just going to troll you and be dicks. Like, if you have, like, ten or, like, if you have, like, four to eight to ten people, that's kind of, like, a sweet spot where some people, like, if you're playing a game like Oblivion, Elder Scrolls Oblivion, people who just enjoy the game are going to stop in and, mm-hmm. and see what you're all about. And there's other games that are like that, where if you have a few viewers, people that are just, like, br- browsing the browse page, they want to help little streamers. There are people out there that want to go watch little streamers and see if they can help them grow. Mm-hmm. And if you have a few viewers that are active, you know, active in chat. It's a really welcoming environment for those types of people. Absolutely. But moreover is like another important thing is like, don't mod all your friends because if they come in, there's eight people watching and everyone's a mod. It's really yeah. intimidating to see everyone being a mod. Pick one of your friends and say, Hey, like you're there at my streams the most often, you know what my stream experience is about. You're going to be my mod until hopefully I grow and then we'll get more mods. But for now you're the one mod. And when I'm like Travis was saying about Bioshock and he didn't want to ruin the ambiance. If you're picking up a brand new game, like like the Blair Witch Project, when it comes out this fall, if you want to stream that game and it's your first time loading it up, just like chat interaction is really important, but putting yourself into a new world like that, you can kind of worry less about the chat interaction and more about the gameplay because if you're genuinely enjoying the game, you're having good reactions to what's going on in the game, the chat doesn't really care so much. They're Mm going to talk to each other and have fun and like they'll joke with you and you can kind of glance over chat, see what's going on, respond a little bit, and then get back into the game. But like my recommendation for Travis is like if you want to experience the ambiance, every 10 or 15 minutes just pause or like if you're at a dead point in the game, just pause it. And get caught up with chat. Just like hang out for a little bit. Like I'm going to go get a drink real quick or whatever. Take a few sips of your drink. Eat a few like little snacks. Catch up with chat and then say hey like I'm diving back in. So going dark for a little bit. And then you can just kind of do your own thing on the game. And then in a little bit you know get caught back up. So um, chat interaction is a huge deal. And you know having your friends and family in there to help can help that too. Each streamer will find their sweet spot with a lot of things. You just don't know until you start it. Right. It's the biggest thing is just doing it really all, all the all the content creation i've done so far over the past couple of years with gaming it's all kind of stemmed from one mindset that i was told in a podcast before that was if you want to do it just do it the biggest hurdle you face is just you doing it like who's telling you no you can't do it. okay you got to spend a hundred bucks to get a couple of things cool but if that's going to bring you happiness and that's going to fuel a passion that's going to pay itself over tenfold. Maybe not financially right off the bat, but your mental health and your desire to do these things. You're the only person to hold you back to do it. So just do it. I mean, that's the only way you get experience doing things. So Chase, great question. Love that you're writing in and we really appreciate that. So I think that'll put a good cap on the streaming aspect of this. So diving into our next question from not Spider-Man 16. I fully believe that you are Spider-Man now. 
that's very conspicuous. Peter just be Parker. straight up. Yeah. Just tell me you're Peter Parker, damn it. Yeah. Come on. Anyways. Not Spider-Man 16 writes, Hey guys, I want to talk remasters for a minute. And my submission is two parts. First, what are some games that you would love to see either remastered or even remade from the ground up? Can be one that has never been done or that has been done and could be done again. Second is a bit deeper though. Do you think remasters slash remakes are starting to become overdone? More and more we are seeing companies push out remasters and remakes for a multitude of reasons. And while from a preservation standpoint of the games, it is great, I can't help but feel that the market is becoming a little oversaturated and overwhelmed, with less originality being pushed. Thanks. So, since Mike kind of picked up the ball and ran with the last question with streaming, I want to dish to Adam first. Adam, what is a game, first part of the question, we'll kind of pick at this and go layer by layer. First part of the question, what is a game or games that you would love to see either remade, remastered, remaster like The Last of Us coming from PS3 to PS4, a simple HD scaling, or such as Final Fantasy VII Remake that's going on right now, full from the ground reimagining. What's a game or game franchise that you would like to see? The first one that comes to mind is Elder Scrolls III Morrowind, and okay. I know Bethesda's going on record saying, oh, it can never be remade, like, it's just not possible to do that again today, like, I can kind of understand that from a certain perspective, but also, like, the Skywind project does exist. Yeah. There are fans who are trying to remake Morrowind in a modern engine. And, I mean, the you think about, not to cut you off, but there is a Morrowind expansion in Elder Scrolls Online from yeah. the aspect of, if you're People looking, want to revisit that space Right, again. the environments are made. So, on that aspect, it's done, you know, asset-wise. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, I think they might be undervaluing the... I, I'm not saying... They're making a bad estimate on how difficult it might be. Mm -hmm. I fully agree that it's probably almost impossible to remake and successfully market a game like that today. Mm -hmm. But also, just the reward, if you could pull it off, would be unimaginable. And it's probably never going to happen, but that is the one thing that I would really like to see. Morrowind is another one of those places that I always find myself going back to. And yeah. it's probably one of the most... Wake like, up. You've been dreaming. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> What's your name? And every time I go back to Morrowind, there's so much that I haven't discovered. Mm -hmm. It's like, I've only really barely skimmed the surface and, like, beat the main quest. Mm -hmm. And I've tread the same first five hours so often that mm. all the rest is uncharted territory for me. Yeah. Like, I don't even remember walking around in the Ashlands or, yeah. like, the northern regions of Ardenfell that much. You just remember, like, Balmora. You remember yeah. Satanine. You You bring up, like, so many good points about that, and... I feel like that's a game that's like, a, it's a classic RPG where if they remade it, oh man, you would put, as it is in its classic state, I think you could put hundreds and hundreds of hours in and you still wouldn't, like, I don't even know what constitutes 100% done in that game. I'm not sure. Like, either. how many side quests are there? Like, these are things that you and I are for sure don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good one. I think it would be hard... The one thing that sticks out to me that's difficult about a Morrowind remaster is, like, getting your player to sit down with the patience to, like, read through a wiki-style dialogue yeah. network. Like, they probably couldn't voice act all of that. If they did, it would be, like, really expensive. That's, like, prohibitively expensive. I could see people who are into, like, pen and paper adventures or things like that in, yeah. still in 2019 being able to pick that game up. Yeah. If it was done in a similar vein, but... Even look at games like Divinity. I mean, it's very text-based, at least That's from true. 
Granted, it's not a multi-million seller or what you know. It's so popular. It's yeah. very popular though. It and is like, still very popular. That is true. Every line of narration or dialogue in that game is voiced. Like, yeah, I think it's kind of a situation where you run into the thing where people who really enjoy reading enjoy games of that nature. Yeah, because you can kind of, with your own imagination, make these voices for these people. Yeah, you can kind sure. of figure out how they like you in your mind make the image of these people, or at least the sound of their voice. Whereas, like, other people, like, you know, like, Oblivion was voice acted for the most part, and it was done pretty well, but, yeah. like... You only had, like, ten voice actors for the whole game. Yeah, exactly. And I think, like, Morrowind is just so diverse with everything that's done in it. I personally would not mind sitting down and reading through the wiki-style dialogue. Right. But I would wonder if Bethesda's taking the perspective of their, like, standard Skyrim fan... Right. ...who is very used to everything being voiced. Right. Would they be able to convert that person back? And right. I think the, the niche of people who are willing to patient to be patient enough and like tolerate all of that reading is like shrinking. Absolutely, and I think like like you said, the patience for that type of thing is shrinking. But also, when it comes with in terms of Morrowind and a remaster of that game, at least you don't have to rework all that stuff. Like the it's written, it's done. You just have to put it in the new game. It's not like you have to re-record voice lines. Or reprogram or remake assets. Like, all the writing is done. Yeah. Right. What I was going to say is, like, in those dialogue, because there can be, like, text boxes of dialogue where yeah. most people on Reddit would just be like, TLDR question mark. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they were just like, I don't really care. Uh-huh. But there's important things to quests in Morrowind that are hidden in a block of text that you need to, like, remember. Like, this certain NPC in this town told me this. And, like, you need to remember things of that nature to be able to progress through the game. And, like you said, in games like Skyrim, it's really mainstream. You talk to someone. And you can sit there and... put a marker on your map. Right. They put a marker on your map. Or you could just ignore... Like, you could just sit there and, like, be texting, not listening to what's being talked about. And then it would put a marker on your map. You'd go to talk to someone else, another NPC. And in traditional games like Morrowind, you would have to remember what to ask them about to get the info you needed. But in Skyrim, like, that would be your only option. And you would extract the knowledge that you needed in such a streamlined way, where Morrowind, it was kind of more like a detective game, where sometimes you would have to play detective and Absolutely. figure out what what was what. Because sometimes, <laughs> in Morrowind, they would give you false info and things of that nature. That's and, what I loved about that. And, let, and lead you astray, because you didn't know, you didn't pay attention to the right questions to ask. Yeah, It's like, even though the history of the world is layered with, like, different perspectives and accounts and like some people remember events differently history was rewritten by victors and then you find out what really happened like mm-hmm. that's what makes the game world so engrossing and make it feel so real but right like, do we as an audience have the patience for that now in 2019 2020 i do personally i think bethesda maybe correctly assesses that their audience on the most part does not mm-hmm. i don't want to take up too much time with the morrowind so i'm just going to move on to the second part of the question mm-hmm. I, I I do really value the preservation aspect of remakes. I knew you remakes. would. That's why I wanted to make sure we got this question right, because yeah. I felt that would definitely pull a thread with you. I think not enough is done with preservation in general. I think remakes and remasters are one way that old games get carried forward. From yeah. a base level. Yeah, it's probably not the easiest way to do preservation in general. If mm-hmm. your goal was preservation of games so that they can be played into the future, mm-hmm. you should probably look at something more like archiving. No, absolutely. But, uh, it's it's something, you know? And I don't mind remakes and remasters as long as their purpose is laid out ahead of time. Like, hey, we want to do this game. We're just touching it up to port to the next console and, like, 
those expectations are laid out by the developer up front. Or, hey, we want to rebuild this game up and reimagine it to make it a more modern experience. And as long as they hit the goals that they set out from the beginning, I think they're mostly success. I don't mind that they're all that common these days. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, the only I just want to touch on one more thing about the Morrowind because sure. I was originally going to go Oblivion, but since you went Morrowind, I obviously can't roll with the Elder Scrolls here because no uh, reason you can't. But I mean, I just think that either Oblivion or Morrowind would be a great remake. Mm-hmm. I think Oblivion would have a more realistic shot because it's a little more mainstreamy. Mm-hmm. But the hardcore RPG fan is dying; it's a dying breed. Yeah. And when I say hardcore RPG, I don't mean like you're out there and you're like, "Hey, wait a minute, I love RPGs." Like, okay, sure, but you don't go into Morrowind and put 300 hours into the game like RPG people did, like did back then. Yeah, and like Adam said, with the preservation factor. Adam is the type of gamer, and I'll vouch for him, who, like, he doesn't really give a shit about the graphics. Like, he'll get mm-hmm. on and play, like, Fallout 2, like, the original, like, Diablo-type view Isometric. Fallout. Yep, yep, yeah, yep, like, yep. And he doesn't give a shit about bugs or anything. He just loves the gameplay, mm-hmm. and he loves the game. So, he's legit when he says about this. Uh, for, th- for this question, not Spider-Man 16, can I just call you NS16? <laughs> Look, NS16. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say a Tom Clancy game, like a Ghost Recon, or even like a Rainbow Six game would be fantastic. Like Rainbow Six 3, if you wanted to go that new to get remastered, I would love to see like Rogue Sphere or the original Rainbow Six to be remastered. One of those games, I think, is like something that it's just like Morrowind and its market is long gone. And the hardcore FPS gamer, you die, you sit for five minutes because the round's still going on. Like that is long gone. And it'll never happen. But me, it would make me the happiest person in the world if I could play a tactical shooter that has like the tactics that Siege has. But it's just not Siege. Like Siege is unique in its gameplay, but it's also really boring to me. And you know, you might think old school Rainbow Six is boring, but I think it's wonderful. Like this, the campaigns were always really in depth and really difficult, and they were a lot of fun. I thought the adversarial mode with the verses. I thought that the maps were really good. They were really fun. It was just a blast um, playing this realistic type shooter that was just fantastic. So I would really like to see a Tom Clancy like classic Rainbow Six or Ghost Recon remade. I think that in today's graphics, in today's world, uh, it would just be a beautiful game. And, and they, they could do a really good job. As far as oversaturation for the market, in the second part of your question on S16, I would have to say I side more with Adam. I really like the preservation factor of it. Then again, you know, backpedaling just a tad bit. I did say that Adam and I both and Travis, we all enjoy classic games, Mm -hmm. even if they're not remastered. So to us, it really doesn't matter. We're going to play the games. But obviously, if you're going to remaster it and you're going to update like the multiplayer servers and you're going to make me be able to play multiplayer, like that's fantastic. I would love that. But as it is, if it's if that's not the case, I'm still going to get on to Rainbow Six Rogue Spear and I'm still going to play through the campaign every once in a while and play the missions and just have fun with it. Because I don't really care about the game, or I care about the gameplay, but I don't care so much about the graphics. And the nostalgia factor for me is so large with those games. They were such a large part of my childhood growing up. I spent a lot of time playing them. So when I log on today, or 
you know, it's kind of vice versa. Like I can either play the game and it makes me nostalgic. and want to listen to music from back then. Or if I listen to certain songs that I used to listen to when I was playing that game back when I was eight or nine years old, it's like kind of like whenever I eat potato chips, I really want to eat chocolate. And if I eat chocolate, I really want something salty. That's like kind of the way it is for me. Like if I listen to a song from that era, I really want to play the game. Or if I play the game, I really want to put on a playlist from that era. And that's what makes remasters and remakes so appealing to me is that if it in like induces the feeling of nostalgia that i get i'm all for it like master chief collection is a great example if they had better menu music i would be all about it but just like seeing the video of halo 3's menu music and stuff that almost brings a tear to my eye so things of that nature whenever nostalgia can kind of play off of each other i'm all about it so yeah, I mean, I, I love the remasters. Um, some of it can be oversaturated, and I can understand that. Like, I don't need a remaster of Fallout New Vegas. Like, I just don't. Like, let's just say they do that. Like, you really don't need that, right? Or they're like, we're going to remaster Skyrim. Like, okay, douche. Like, I don't need it. Thanks. Like, Technically, they already did. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't need it. So stop shoving it down my throat type thing. I would love to go back. But, you know, Ubisoft... They're never going to go back and, and revive that series and remaster it, no matter how much I would, like, love them yeah. for it. But, I mean, that's, like, if I had a dream, besides, like, this question's tough, NF16, because I could give you a list. So, top five, Morrowind Oblivion, Rainbow Six Rogue Spear, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, and we'll throw Ninja Gaiden Black in there for a remaster, and that's my five that I would love to see. And I could actually go to 15 or 20, but I'll give you that five. Oh, and Dust of Tale of the Wired West by yeah. It'll never get the remaster. Oh, right. It and Titanic both. If you guys don't know what that is, that's some hardcore, like, 1990s gamer bullshit. <laughs> so, Dust of Tale of the Wired West made by Cyberflix. Go ahead and wiki Cyberflix, and you'll find out these games. And I would love to be able to stream it for you guys the it's just too damn old. I can't make it happen. But those <laughs> games are so good. I would love them. I really like the analogy you had there with the uh, salt and... Dude, yeah, I'm the type I of guy where if I have a potato out. chip... If I have a Lay's potato chip, bro, I'm like going for the Hershey's chocolate immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if I start with the Hershey's chocolate, I'm like, bro, I need some chips. Like, yeah, I, yeah, do yeah. you guys remember Swoops? Yes! Were they actual chocolate-covered chips? Yes! Or were they just chocolate, like, chip Vaguely, vaguely. Yes. No, no, no. Yes, I do. They were chocolate-shaped. They were, like, chocolate-shaped... Pringles, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, Travis? Yeah, what do you have to say about it? All right. So, first part of the question. My heart will always say, Nintendo can keep pumping out The Legend of Zelda Ocarina Time as many times as possible. My fucking brainwashed ass will drive to the store. <laughs> drive. I mean, this this dude's eating that shit up. I will night. drive through a fucking blizzard. The bl- I was born in the blizzard of 93, so I was born in the mud. I will drive wherever it is possible to get this game. In all seriousness, I would love to see that game be brought to Switch with the audience it has now, but have it brought into... See, I don't want to necessarily say because I loved I loved the 3DS port. I thought that mm-hmm. is really the definitive version of that game. I agree. You know, visually, it was great. It'd be nice if it wasn't on like a fucking 240p screen. And that's one game that actually the gimmicks of the 3DS actually played well into with the gyro. Like Absolutely. it was, it was really it was much better aiming on that than a fucking N64 joystick. Definitely. But I, I, no matter how many times, that's to me that is my most cherished game that I can pick up and play at any time, 
and played all the way through and still just fall in love. That's, that game makes me fall in love with gaming anytime I'm like, eh, maybe I'm waning out or something. I just think about that game, and it just it just fills my heart. So I would love to see that be brought back and be maybe even brought into, like, you know, remade into, from a ground up, into an Unreal Engine 4. You know, like the tech demos you see all the time on YouTube oh, yeah. and whatnot. But realistically, even just bringing that 3DS port, bring that, that 3DS port, Majora's Mask 3DS port, and somehow getting Skyward Sword onto a Switch, you know, trifecta bundle or whatever, yeah. sell for $60. Ah, oh, that'd be awesome. I would like to see them bump up the other uh, Wii U remakes on the Switch. Yes, I, I'm shocked about that. Like, they haven't done that. Um, I'm shocked that Twilight Princess and Wind Waker. Wind Waker haven't been brought over yet. You're bringing literally everything else over from the Wii U. But there's one other that Mike made me think of whenever he was talking. So imagine this. And, and eventually, this series is going to come back and have an actual legitimate sequel to it, or reboot, or whatever. But tiding you over, that leads into this announcement. We're at Microsoft's press conference. This is Microsoft show. E3 2020. The hype is just fucking palpable at this point. You know, next gen's right around the corner. We're getting sweaty. We're getting sweaty. Phil Spencer's talking, or whatever, and he's talking about third-party love and how important third-party support's going to be on this system. And the lights go out. People are like, what the fuck? <laughs> and all you hear is green. Splinter Cell. Oh. Remastered. From the ground up. Original game. But from the ground up, Sam Fisher comes in. You just see him. And it just is a full fucking, like, remake from the ground up. Like, new assets, new everything like that. Same layout. But I got shivers just thinking about it. Because, one, I just I just fucking love moments like that in gaming. Like, I love I love these press conferences. Just, I'm a junkie when it comes to that shit. So, eventually they're going to... It's all but confirmed that a new Splinter Cell is in development. But nobody wants to say anything for some fucking reason. But I'd love to see that franchise brought back. Before we move on... I don't want to get, like, on a huge tangent, but Adam kind of pulled on something I just wanted to touch on really quick. It doesn't really pertain to NS16's question or anyone else's, but Adam briefly touched on it. And let's just do a quick one-minute rapid answer question from mm-hmm. you two, and then I'll go last. Okay. Adam Wait, said... Wait, you for a minute. Everybody for a minute. Let's just try to keep it... Keep you think light. you can keep it at a minute? I'll try. All right. So... Um, <laughs> Adam briefly touched on driving at midnight in the pouring down rain. Okay. How much do you miss midnight releases? And we'll start with Adam. What do you like? What was your favorite thing about midnight releases? It was just exciting. It was like everyone showing up to play this game. It wasn't a time where you could just have it preloaded on your console to when it was released. You had to go to the store, and it was it was a community experience. You felt connected to everyone else there because you're like, I'm excited for this game, and you might talk to a random stranger about what you want to see from the game when you guys get at home. It was it was an exciting event. It let you connect with strangers, basically. It was a lot of fun. Right. Trav? I still have partaken in the Midnight releases. Nintendo Switch, Midnight at GameStop, picked that up. There was a shit ton of people. Red Dead was the last one. That was one that I knew physically I was buying, that I wanted to get. I still get all my media physical. But, like Adam's saying, it's just, back then, though, it was a communal experience that... That was the party chat. That was the the basement gaming. Only this is where you're bringing people together, like people you don't know. It is the mixer party of this game. It's centered around. It's like subreddit almost for this specific title or whatever. 
for that. You're bringing so many random people into mm-hmm. it. But I agree. It was a time that I really wish we could get back. I mean, it's still it's still good, but not to what it was before. Like, yeah, I think with Halo 3, Halo Reach, Gears of War, Skyrim, every game that I picked up at midnight, Adam pretty much hit the nail on the head because Skyrim brought a different, like, breed of people that, like, I would have never really, like, I was a big FPS guy, but Skyrim I loved, so I picked it up at midnight, but with Halo, Gears of War, just, like, hanging out with people, like, just bullshitting about stories that you had with the game, trading gamer tags and hopping online and inviting all your friends on that. Like, I wouldn't get back to my house till 1245 or 1230 because I live, or like 1245 because I live like 20 minutes away from the nearest GameStop or 15 minutes away. And like, just throwing that game in and seeing all your buddies on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, like, let's go. Yeah. And then, like, I remember when I got on Halo Reach, I had friends from the West Coast that were sending me messages. They were like, fuck you, you <laughs> And I was like, yeah, you bitch, I got it. <laughs> so, yeah. And now, like, the West coast people play with the east coast people like they get it at 9 p.m and like it's just fucking weak so i think it's a lost art in the gaming scene and adam touching on it briefly is the reason why i wanted to bring it up because i think there's going to be a lot of people in this podcast that might remember those midnight releases just how special it was it was a special time in gaming that we'll never get back and it's one of those things that like the old rainbow six games that i want remastered there's so much nostalgia there that I would do anything to bring that time back, but you just, it's, it's gone. And it's something like you didn't know at the time how special it was. Mm -hmm. And now looking back on it, you're like, wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree. So tying off and on, on this question though, just the last part of it, I don't think it's oversaturated completely. There are times where I do feel a bit of cash grabness where it just seems like you're putting out a remake or, or a remaster more or less. You know, just to make a quick buck, especially with the quality of the remaster that's put out in terms of frame rate, upscaling, resolution that's put out, bugs, different things like that. Can you name a remaster you felt burned by that was like, oh, this was like, this was just a, an easy win for them. Like, it wasn't really worth it to me to buy this. See, normally, just because I try to do my research whenever I'm buying games, if I hear it's something like that, I usually don't just buy it. Like, I don't play it yeah. because, like I was saying before, my time's kind of finite. Yeah. but. One that, one that you, like, actively avoided then because you knew about it ahead of time? Um, probably, thinking out loud, I still picked it up, but I wasn't thrilled with it because I felt like it felt really odd and just kind of off, was Dishonored. So the definitive edition that they ported over to Xbox One, PS4, recently, actually, like, within the last six months, I picked it up, and... It just, it felt very, it just felt off. Like, it was, the gameplay felt off for a game that, I could tell I was playing an Xbox 360 game, for the most part. Which, nothing wrong with that, if you like that. I mean, I felt Red Dead Redemption 2 felt like an Xbox 360 PS3 game. Because it probably was supposed to be. But, graphically, the frame rate, things like that, it just felt off. Like, the playing experience, I was like, okay, granted, I'm buying this, you know, used from GameStop or wherever, because it's the only place that sells it anymore. It still felt like, I'm glad I didn't pay, like, $40 or whatever the price would be, the price of entry to get this game when it first came out. But there's not a ton, but some of them, did we really need that? Did anybody really ask for that? Like, you know, but then, hey, they're they're the ones making the financial decisions on that. If they feel like it can make money and it makes money, sure, cool. Like, they have a net income on that thing, cool. But yeah, that is a long-winded answer for you, not Spider-Man 16, and... 
at what was it? NS sixteen. NS sixteen. NS sixteen, baby. NS sixteen. So this one I kind of want to just touch on quick because we're starting to run a little long, but just kind of quick shooting from the hip. So this one comes from Tim S. More and more we hear about how consoles are becoming lower end to maybe mid tier gaming PCs with each generation that passes, and that soon traditional consoles will be no more. Specifically with Microsoft and Xbox. My question is simple: What will a quote unquote home console be in 10 years? Will we have a modular system that can be upgraded like a PC? Or will we see streaming boxes take a stranglehold with 5G looming? Much love. So, real quick, just what do you guys think? We've been hearing for a while that traditional consoles are dying. This is the last console generation. They said that like three console generations ago. Like, this is it. This is done. After that, you're just going to get a little PC and download all your games or whatever. Yeah. Do you see consoles becoming this modular box that you have that you can just buy when you upgrade your PC. You may buy a new MOBA or you may buy a new graphics card. The most common thing to do probably. But do you see consoles becoming like that where you could just go and buy what looks like a hard drive and you just plop it into your system and it's the components of a motherboard or something like that. Like You get what I'm saying. Yeah. Or yeah. do you think it's just, we keep hearing now streaming is going to be the new thing that over-encompasses everything. Yeah. What do you think is more likely to happen? I really hope it's not streaming. Agreed. What we've seen from Stadia is that um, that's just not going to work. I think most people, if you're going to game, you want to have, you want to be executing locally. Like, you want to eat up all of your data cap usage by streaming gameplay into your home. If you're going to pay money for a box that plays games, you want it to play games, Right. right? reason I don't think that modularized home consoles are really going to be a thing is that they segment your audience and they limit what games or what software or what features are available to each segment. So, like, if I could take an example from a way back when, mm. you used to have the Nintendo Zapper mm. that was bundled with NES systems. And I don't think it was sold with every Nintendo Entertainment System, mm-hmm. but it was bundled with a lot of them. And you get, like, Duck Hunt with it. And that cartridge came with Super Mario Brothers on it as well. Now, that was a peripheral, but we can kind of extend it to this conversation. Because the peripheral wasn't guaranteed to be in the hands of every console owner, not every developer wanted to try to make use of it because they would automatically be limiting themselves to, okay, now we're only really marketing this game to Zapper owners, mm-hmm. and you know that's fewer people than the overall NES market. And then, because the developers of games and software that support the hardware aren't making anything for it, the hardware developers are now saying, well, we don't want to support this piece of hardware because there's no games for it. Right. So it's kind of that's that back and forth system. And it is interesting. I kind of just thought of this tangentially, but for a while, there was modular hardware included with some games in that era. Like you would have extra graphics processing or sound mm-hmm. processing or other stuff like that on board in the cartridge when you would buy a game. Yeah. Like the Super FX chip on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Stuff like that. And then moving forward, the N64 expansion pack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another one with the N64. Whenever, especially, too, whenever they sold Donkey Kong 64, when that was in development and they already, you know, went gold on the cartridge, they realized that it would crash if it didn't have the extra, you know, video RAM that was in the expansion pack. So they had to bundle this expansion pack with it and sell it to people. And I can't think of how many games exactly needed that. I think it was that and Majora's Mask. Those were the two big tenpole games. Yeah, for sure. So if you were to release a base system as a console developer Mm -hmm. and then say, okay, you can go out and get this upgrade to your graphics capabilities, this upgrade to your 
I don't know, networking or something, you're processing your frame rate, whatever you can do, you're limiting the audiences that the software developers can make mm-hmm. for your system. And then when that happens, you kind of have this negative feedback loop where, okay, well, because nobody's making games for this like higher end, you have to buy into this piece of hardware, then software developers are going to continue to not make things yeah. for that. So I, I don't know what the future holds. I almost want to say I hope things continue as they are, where we just have very monolithic game consoles that are like, you buy this thing every three to four years, and it just it's the same box for yep. that period of time. I totally agree with you. I think, and this isn't me being how I always say, I'm a physical media junkie still. I like to just, the collecting aspect. But that doesn't mean I also don't download games. I download a lot of games, too. I, this is an Xbox Game Pass-centric show. Yeah. So, obviously, I enjoy the service, and that's all digital. So, But I don't see the modularity coming into play, at least next gen or within the next decade, unless something drastic happens that we don't expect in terms of technology. But I see streaming being ahead of that before that. But even then, I will always see these streaming platforms like Stadia and xCloud with Microsoft. And I think Microsoft's the best example because I think they know what they're selling. And I mean that in it's a secondary piece. Mm -hmm. It's always complimentary. Microsoft xCloud is going to be a complimentary service. They want you to still buy. They don't care, really. Their messaging is... They don't care how you play our games. We just want you playing our games, whether it's on Xbox One, OG One, mm-hmm. an Xbox One S, an Xbox One X, and then Scarlet Next Gen. Like, they don't care. As long as you're playing our games, that's all we care about. So with xCloud, they're seeing that as, okay, Johnny's playing Xbox at home, and then he's got to go with his mom to the store. Well, Johnny has a cell phone, and he could just hook, you know, connect his uh, Xbox One controller via Bluetooth to his phone, and he can keep playing. Like, it's... Yeah. It's just a secondary piece, and that's where I think Stadia is relying too much on, no, we're going to be your go-to. And I, I just don't see that happening, especially with how bottlenecked service yeah. and how bad the infrastructure still for the majority of Americans, at least for us. I mean, yeah. specifically how speeds are right now. For us. It, it, you just don't, you're somewhere like really rural. I mean, we're rural Pennsylvania, kind of, yeah. but we're like suburban rural. There's communities even in our own state, like if you if you get out yeah. into the center of the state. Where, like, Shit. I mean, you're talking about places like Wyoming. Like, yeah. The streaming doesn't really, help anybody there. You have almost, like, no real broadband service. Right. For me, like, t- this question, not in our lifetime, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Console's probably going to still be around for quite a while because games like Call of Duty rely on the esports side oh, of wow. things. And that's what we're looking at here as far as consoles. Like, it's a cheaper option and... I still think a lot of people like myself enjoy the console aspect of being able to just kind of like kick back and play it on a 50-inch screen on your Hell, couch. yes. Um, sports games are king on console, and they make a shit ton of money. So console's not going anywhere for a while, bro. PCs are king when it comes to other games, but consoles still have a lot of foothold. I don't think streaming is going to be like... Streaming's obviously going to become more and more popular, but you, there's still going to need to be consoles to lean on. So that's my answer for you, Tim. Yeah, like I said, it's just... I see it becoming a booming service as a secondary. It's yeah. always going to be that, hey, if I pay 10 bucks a month, and that means I have the option of taking whatever game I have on Xbox Game Pass or PlayStation or Nintendo or wherever, or Stadia, whatever, what have you. I'd probably do that. I am travel all around for work and shit like that. Yeah. So it's 
it'd be a nice secondary thing where I don't have to lug my console to my fiance's house. I don't have to like do all these other things. It's just it simplifies it, but it's always going to be secondary to my actual box or my PC or whatever have you that's hooked up to my TV. And on a grander scale, the saying goes, cloud computing or streaming is really just someone else's computer. Right. So they're still going to have to make other yes. hardware <laughs> to run the games that you're streaming. Absolutely. 100%. All right. So we're going to go into our last question from Josh E. here. So Josh E. asks, this was going to be a controversial one, I feel like. What's good? What is a game that you enjoy that is either divisive amongst fans or just plain out hated? Let's hear those controversial hot takes. So, this one I'm going to kind of freestyle a little bit with it. It's either, we're going to say, what's a game that you enjoy that other people don't like or just hate or gets a lot of negative clout? Or, what's a game that everyone loves that you don't like? So, I'm kind of freestyling a little bit with your question, Josh. Thank you for writing in. So, I'm going to open it up to Mike. What do you think, what is a game that is either divisive among people, but you still love, gets kind of a lot of shit talked on it that you still love, or what's a game that a lot of people like, and you're just like, I don't I don't get the hype? Uh, Skyrim, I don't get the hype. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to beat the shit out of Skyrim, it just sucked. It was a bad installment from Bethesda. Travis, the game that Travis is going to briefly touch on, I agree with him, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Basically, every PS4 exclusive is pretty fucking bad. I mean, gameplay-wise, it's just not that good. It's more of a cinematic experience, which people who enjoy that, like, that's cool. But the gameplay... Raises hand. It's just, like, <laughs> it's just like blah to me for those games. So, like, basically every PS4 exclusive to me, and that's not me being, like, an Xbox snob. I did own a PS4 for a little bit. And that's just me being real and keeping it 100. Yeah. I'm just not the biggest fan of those types. I like gameplay-driven games, so... That's very important to me, good gameplay, and I don't feel like those games have stellar gameplay. Um, as far as a game that I enjoy that everyone else kind of disliked, that one's kind of tough. I guess if I, like, I'm trying to think, like, I I don't really have an answer for this one, because I, I pretty much side with a lot of people on, like, crappy games versus good games. Yeah. I'm usually on the same side as everyone else. So I guess it's more just like me being a hype killer with other games. I guess I just like kind of think like, eh, that game kind of trash, but everyone else kind of likes it. So no, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I guess like, honestly, I was a hardcore Diablo 2 fan mm-hmm. and hardcore Diablo 2 fans felt a little like shitty about Diablo 3. But if I'm being 100 with you, I kind of like Diablo 3, even though like it wasn't Diablo 2 and I still like Diablo 2 better. I still really like Diablo 3. So I guess I would pick Diablo 3. Good, good. I like Diablo 3. I think we all can say we like Diablo 3 at the very minimum. So. Yeah, yeah. Adam, what are you thinking, man? This one's tough because I feel like I, there are definitely those times. I know I've had moments where I'm like, man, everyone rags on this mm-hmm. game, but I'm having a great time. Like, those guilty pleasures. Yeah. Nothing's coming to mind right now. I know there are games that I think are obscure that I absolutely love that, like, I don't think it's that they're controversial or divisive. It's just that no one's really heard of them. Like, yeah. Pathologic is my go-to example. Like, that is... If you've played Pathologic, mm-hmm. there's a high chance that you've bounced off of it. So, mm-hmm. for the small subset of people who've tried it, it's probably kind of controversial. Yeah. It's something that I got, like, absolutely drowned in when I started playing it. Like, I couldn't stop. I wanted to see what was happening next. Yeah. I think Halo 3 ODST had a really mixed reception. 
Which is crazy to me. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think critically it was, like, middling, like, mediocre. Which is nuts. Because it was said that, like, maybe it was originally supposed to be DLC for Halo 3 or something, mm. but people were complaining that, like, it wasn't enough of an improvement. It didn't feel like a sequel. It was like an expansion right. pack. Yeah. But, like, I loved Halo 3 ODST. Oh my god, I, I tend yeah. to love, like, middle child games, I think. I mean, it was a noir-esque yeah. take on Halo it to was, an extent. Yeah, it was like a hard-boiled detective game right, in yeah. a Halo setting. That was something pretty much unprecedented in that series. Bungie kind of flexed their creativity with Hell yeah, yeah you know what I mean? They had, like, they had been riding high on Halo 3, and I'm pretty sure most of the people working on it knew that Reach was probably going to be their last game, mm-hmm. and this was the calm before that storm of, like, shipping the last game out the door. And this right. was like, hey, what can we do with these tools that we have? They... I don't know. I think they knocked it out of the park. Hell yeah. No, and plus, I think Buck's one of the coolest characters in the whole fucking series. Yeah, Nathan Fillion playing Buck. Great dude, man. Yeah. So, comes down to me. I'm gonna get flack for both of these. So, the game that, that's divisive, that people just didn't like or plain out hate. This is multiplayer out. I didn't think Halo 5's campaign was that bad. I played, like, within the last year played it, and that was the first time I actually ever played it all the way through. And, like, I left kind of being like, I mean, it's not, it's not amazing. It's alright. Like, it's, it's not, it's not how I want a Halo, a Halo campaign to be, but at the end of the day, I was like, it had some moments that I was like, y'all, this is cool. It's not Halo cool, but, like, it was that was a cool like six hours or whatever it was, you know. I don't feel like I completely wasted my time, but people like vilify that game because it isn't a traditional Halo style game, which I can dig. I'm a, like most of us, I'm traditionalist when it comes to Halo, so. But I think this one may be even a little more divisive. So the game that a ton of people enjoy that I've just never been able to get hooked on, and I've said it before. And I still don't know why I haven't been able to get hooked on it. The Witcher 3. I have no idea why I can't get hooked on it. But to me, it just... I finally just kind of admitting it. I think it's overhyped. That's not to say that it isn't a good game. It sucks. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Um, I've never even played it. It's... It just doesn't... To me, it felt... I don't want. I don't want to say it didn't feel cheap, but it just, for as dense as the world felt, and maybe it's because I only got fifteen hours in at the most, maybe or something like that. I'm. I know I'm just scratching the surface on that. I. I really do know I'm doing only doing that. But at the same time, like maybe it's just me. But after spending fifteen hours in a game, I think I should have some kind of connection with it. Yeah. Fifteen hours of your life on something, I think you should kind of be like. Okay, obviously I'm either digging this or I'm not. Like, why am I playing this at that point? Yeah, that's a lot of time. That's like, I have a three-episode rule for a TV show. Like, if I'm yes. not invested by three episodes, that's an hour and a half of, of your time. Maybe three hours at most if it's like... Netflix has kind of ruined me with that because now anymore, if it's like five minutes and I look over at my fiance, I'm like, are you feeling this? She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. It's you just know. so easy to drop and pick yeah. up something else. No, gaming's a little different now. You're There's more of an upfront cost, you know, and you yeah. have some investment. I feel like the 15 hours in is a long way to feel yeah. like you're not... And that's spaced over in. a while, but like... Yeah, but like, then again, if it was a good game, you'd have 15 hours in like two weeks. If not... I if not like one week. 
Yeah, I was going to say, that's like one week at least. But yeah, I mean, that's, I just don't know why. That's not a, it's just a game that I keep saying. But I'm really excited for Cyberpunk. Because Cyberpunk looks, they've kind of found the formula, like, really perfected the formula of what mixing a more fast-paced, fluid combat, because that was the one thing with Witcher combat, I always felt like it wasn't very fluid, it was very stiff, it was very unforgiving, which is okay in times, but not in the way that the game's presented. The game's presented for you wanting to get immersed in this world and do all these different things where, you know, if it was... uh, if it was Dark Souls-esque, then, okay, market it like Dark Souls. Yeah. Like, Dark Souls is based on learning patterns and different things like that with your enemies and packs and whatnot. Oh, shit, that's that's my answer for a game that people like that I didn't get into. Dark Souls. I have never been able to stick with a Dark Souls game past, like, ten hours. I was gonna say, I know you've played a, a handful, like, just trying it out. and I've played, like, maybe half an hour of everyone except Dark Souls 1, and in that, I've gotten to, like... I don't even know if I've ever cleared the undead berg and like finished yeah. that whole area. I've only gotten, I've only gotten barely that. Like I haven't gotten very far in Dark yeah. Souls because I picked it up on Switch trying it for my first time. It just, it was one of those games I was like, cool. I bought it for twenty bucks on sale or whatever. So I don't feel that like, but it is what it is. And that, my friends, is our party chat special. Thank you for everyone writing in. I think those are good questions. Yeah, they're absolutely. I like I like doing these. I like doing these kind of biweekly things where kind of just whatever topics are going on, whatever our listeners kind of want to throw out to yeah. us. I like kind of breaking it down, not where we're stuck to one specific game. It's and always we're like, so bad at this. This is supposed to be like a brief, short episode. No, we it's just, the same like no, I, know, I like to still, keep it. Like, I like to keep know. it within a around an hour. Around an hour. I think it's a great excuse for us to do what we want to do on other episodes, which is go off on tangents. Yeah. Right. When you have all these different topics, we can kind of just go off and talk about Right. And this is where, this is why I want to kind of bring these kind of shows in maybe once every other week or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, where can everyone find you? Adam, where can people find you? You can catch me on Twitter at AC underscore Marshy. That's AC underscore M A R S H Y. And Mike, where can people find you? At Toy Soldier, the second O is an X on Twitter. That's T O Y S X L D I E R. L L Toy Soldier L L on Xbox. M P underscore Toy Soldier on Twitch. And on AOL Instant Messenger, you can hit me up on PPAC 0306. That's P I P A K 0306. See you on AIM, baby. Hot. Hot. What's your away message right now? Um. I tried to be perfect, but nothing was worth it. <laughs> some random, <laughs> some random emo ass lyric. It actually might be like "Freak Leak" by Petey Pablo right now. Something off of some by Petey Pablo. When there was like, do you remember browsing away message lists? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Just yeah. like scroll through pages and pages yep. of them. Yeah. Hell yes, absolutely. Trav, where are we finding you? As always, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Travis White, your host, aka Travis, on most internet platforms, including. Twitter at Travelis underscore T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S underscore. Also, twitch.tv slash Travelis underscore, same spelling and everything. And just regular Travelis on Xbox Live. Right now I'm playing through Bioshock, so you'll see me on there kind of playing through that. With that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for writing into Party Chat, and we will see you next week.